It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm Jake Lisko, one of your hosts, along with James Rapine, the other one of your hosts. You can find us on Twitter at Jake underscore NFL and at James Rapine. Follow us individually on Twitter and follow the podcast at Locked On Bengals for your daily updates on what's going on with the Cincinnati Bengals. Today's episode, Bengals fans, is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off your first order. Today, Bengals fans, we celebrate the life and the playing career of Ken Riley. And in doing so, and in reading Mike Brown's statement on the matter, we're going to look at some of the greats that played around Ken Riley. Of course, he was on the Super Bowl team in 1981. He played alongside... Another Bengals great in Lamar Parrish. Many, many of the greatest players in the history of this organization were on that team. We will start with a retrospective on Ken Riley's career. We will then move on to taking a look at that 1981 team. And finally, the Bengals issued a statement regarding the protests going on in the country, Cincinnati included, including a pledge for some action. They were the last NFL team to do so, so we will get into looking at what the Bengals said and what they will be doing in part three of the show. But to start, rest in peace, Ken Riley, one of the greatest Bengals of all time. Ken Riley is one of the greatest cornerbacks to ever play the game of football, not to mention one of the best cornerbacks to ever play for the Cincinnati Bengals. Mike Brown said as much in his statement following Ken Riley's death. Brown said, everyone here loved Kenny. He had everyone's respect. He was a success with us and after his playing career as a coach and athletic director at Florida A&M. When he came here, Kenny and Lamar Parrish had never played cornerback and they're the two best we've ever had. And we've had a lot of good ones. We put him over there for a decade and a half and we didn't have to worry about it. Kenny was quick to the point of the ball as a great interceptor, and he was an excellent tackler, even though he wasn't a very big man. Brown finished with, I'm going to miss him. He was a good guy and a solid man. We send our condolences to his family. Yeah, he played for Cincinnati for 15 seasons and is really one of the underappreciated Bengals. When you look back in, in, in Bengals history, he had 65 career interception, interceptions, Jake, Fifth most in NFL history. I, I, I mean, do, does the casual Bengals fan know that? That, that the, the Bengal, there's a Bengals cornerback that's fifth in NFL history in interceptions? I would say no, right? I, Ken Riley helped uh, in, in some of the most critical moments in Bengals history, big moments in Bengals history. Obviously, he was a part of the 1981 team that went to the Super Bowl, but he played in the, the infamous Freezer Bowl game where they won the AFC Championship over the Chargers. I mean, there, there's just... 
there's so many moments, and I'm glad Mike Brown mentioned one because sometimes we overlook certain details. Ken Riley was a quarterback in college. He didn't primarily throw the ball at, at Florida A&M, but he did complete almost 93% of his passes as a senior, but he threw it like 108 times, right? He didn't throw the ball much at all. And suddenly the very next season, this sixth-round draft pick is a cornerback in the NFL, and he has four interceptions. It's just it's insane how quickly he translated from quarterback to cornerback to have success right away. And that's what Riley did. And uh, it's it's sad, especially at at just the the age of 72 that he passed away. But I I hope Bengals fans look back and can see all of the good and, and really the great that he did in Cincinnati during his 15 seasons with the organization. And let's talk about just how great he was. You mentioned the 65 interceptions that rank fifth in NFL history. That's behind Paul Krause, who had 81 interceptions. Emlyn Tunnell, who had 79 interceptions. Rod Woodson, 71. Night Train Lane, 68. Those are the only guys, all Hall of Famers, ahead of Ken Riley. Just behind him, Ed Reed, Ronnie Lott. Two more Hall of Famers. Tied with Ken Riley at 65, Charles Woodson. Almost certainly headed to the Hall of Fame, a no-doubter. So why not for Ken Riley? Just another one of these Bengals greats, seemingly lost in the shuffle. To go along with the career accolades, the career ranking, fifth all-time in interceptions, he was a three-time All-Pro. Selected to the first All-Pro team in 1983, his last year playing. In that year, by the way, eight interceptions and two touchdowns. At age 36 in his last year, and then twice to the second team in 1974 and 1975. The laundry list of accolades and recognition from Mike Brown as well. Easy to see how Ken Riley was so great. On Twitter, Willie Anderson talked about the time he spent with Ken Riley at the Bengals anniversary celebration. He said the Hall of Fame meant a lot to Ken Riley. The Bengals doing events with former players meant a lot to Ken Riley. And as some of the players from those Bengals great teams are in that conversation at this point in their lives, I hope that they get the recognition they deserve both from the city, from the team, and from the Pro Football Hall of Fame. After playing for the Bengals, Ken Riley spent two years as assistant coach for the Green Bay Packers before he returned to his alma mater, Florida A&M, to be a head coach and athletic director, two-time MEAC Coach of the Year Award winner, won the conference in 1990, took the team to a bowl game in 1992. Ken Riley was successful at everything he tried, and one can only hope that he gets into the Hall of Fame. He absolutely should be in the Hall of Fame based on the interception numbers alone. And that, to me, is so bothersome because those numbers that we talked about, we had Ken Anderson on the show a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about his numbers and how you have to you can't look at the raw numbers and compare them to today's game. Well, Ken Riley's compared to today's game. They compare to yesterday's game or 50 years ago or 25 years. ago. It doesn't matter what era it is. Sixty five interceptions is a hell of a lot. The other argument for him in a big one would be 15 seasons at cornerback and in his final year was arguably his best year. His age 36 season in 1983, you mentioned it, first team all pro for the first time in his career. He had eight interceptions, Jake. 
out of his 15 years, it's not like he had a couple eight interception years and then a couple of one interception years. Outside of three seasons, 12 of his 15 years, he had at least three picks. So this was consistent. This was steady. He, he was a, a big part of a, a Super Bowl run. I had eight interceptions, first team all pro. Like he has all the accolades and he ends up being fifth all time in interceptions. Like to me, that alone, you don't have to watch game film. You don't have to ask people about him in which everyone speaks glowingly about him, right? From Willie Anderson to Ken Anderson to whoever you want to mention. It's a no brainer for me. And I don't think I'm looking through Bengals colored glasses here. And I don't think there's really any bias. You look at the numbers and it's, that's it. And it's really a damn shame that he isn't going to be able to see it because he should be in the hall of fame and, and and now it's in his family will get it. And obviously he will be looking down celebrating, but the fact that he didn't get inducted into the pro football hall of fame while he was alive is a shame. It's a bit of an embarrassment. And that's a feeling that I think Bengals fans have for him and for Ken Anderson. And I think that's true for some of the other Bengals greats that we're going to talk about in the next segment. James, today's episode is brought to the people by Built Bar. It's your favorite protein bar. We can get the people $10 off right now by using promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. Tell the people why this is the best protein bar you've ever had in your life. Because it tastes great. That's the first thing. It tastes amazing. I've tried most of the flavors. They have 16 different flavors. So if you're curious about one or another, you you could try a bunch of them. Get a sample pack if you want to, if you're first trying it out. And here's the beauty. Not only do they taste great, but they fit your macros. Low sugar, high protein. You're you're not going to – your midday snack isn't going to ruin your macros, and it shouldn't. And Built Bar is perfect for that. So you're trying to get that beach body ready because we've been in quarantine for a couple of months. I know I am. I started going back to the gym last week. Get Built Bar. It's the perfect supplement to get your protein and stay within your macros on a daily basis. So go to BuiltBar.com and like Jake said, use promo code Locked On to save $10 off your first order. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. James, we talk a lot about players in Bengals history who maybe don't get the respect they deserve on the national level, certainly from the Pro Football Hall of Fame, where the Bengals, of course, only have one representative being Anthony Munoz. One of the guys we talked to recently on the podcast, Ken Anderson, should also be in the Hall of Fame. He actually tweeted 20 minutes ago from the time of recording on Sunday in in memorial for Ken Riley, essentially. Saddened by the passing of my friend and former teammate, Ken Riley, one of the best Bengals of all time. Not only a great player, but more importantly, a great man. So that makes at least two Kens that have played for the Bengals that should be in the Hall of Fame. Mike Brown talked about Lamar Parrish. And we should certainly talk about Lamar Parrish, one of the best Bengals corners, one of the best Bengals players of all time. He was an eight-time Pro Bowler, James. He went in six of his eight years playing with the Bengals. He went another two times when he played for Washington, was an All-Pro in 1979, 
47 career interceptions. I, I just, how do these guys not get seen? You have an eight-time Pro Bowler, All-Pro, 47 picks, and he's, what, Hall of Very Good? May, I mean, where's the respect for these guys, right? And we're going to get to the 1981 team where there's going to be more names we go through that should probably have more consideration than they got. I don't understand it. Like, I, I just it, – it's it's impossible to comprehend because the, the Bengals – have two guys named Ken that should be in the Hall of Fame and neither one is, right? You said the two Kens and it's I I think that it's it's extremely frustrating because there is a a good history of football and a history of winning in the Bengals organization. And really outside of the 90s, the Bengals have been extremely competitive or better for most of the, the the past couple of decades, right? And so the, the fact that there's this stigma that follows them, I don't I don't understand it, and I really can't explain it. And, and it's it's extremely frustrating when you think about all of the great players that have played for this franchise. And, and I will say this: the organization does deserve some blame here because they don't retire numbers, right? Ken Anderson's number not retired. Andy Dalton's number, you know, Andy Dalton wore number fourteen for how many years? Uh, same thing, Ken Riley. They do, they do not retire numbers uh, outside of the 50th anniversary celebration a couple of years ago. They're not really good at celebrating their past. And th- to their credit, they did that. And Ken Riley was in attendance. And that was a big deal at, uh, in 2017. So I will give them credit for that. But that part of it, celebrating your history makes the NFL and makes NFL fans acknowledge it. And, and keeps it fresher in their minds and it keeps it fresher in your fans minds. Cause it's easy to forget if there's no way to look up Ken, right? If you're 22 years old, why do you know who Ken Riley is? It's, it's, it's hard for me to blame a fan for not knowing or not knowing even who Ken Anderson is. It's just, it, it's the reality we live in. And I get it. You can Google it or YouTube it and, and, and watch Super Bowl, uh, the 1981 Super Bowl and all those different things. That's fine. But at the same time, I think it's up to the organization to start celebrating its history. And if it does that, then it, 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 some of these guys will get the acknowledgement they deserve because there's no explanation for it, really. There, there's none. And I, I wish I had a better explanation for you. And, and those are teams that were good. It's not like – and Ken Anderson talked about this when we talked to him. It's not like that stigma was there before the 90s. It, it, it's really a product of that lost decade after Paul Brown – handed over the team to his son. They 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 went to Super Bowl in, in 81. They they lost another Super they they went to two Super Bowls with two different quarterbacks with different coaches. I I just that was when they were good. And and so immediately following that period is when you would have expected these guys to get the recognition they deserve. And now, you know, we've just passed this anniversary event for the Hall of Fame. We thought maybe this would be the time for the seniors the guys the Bengals have from those teams that still are eligible, Ken Riley, Ken Anderson, and they unfortunately weren't included. And, and now we have to wait and hope that they get in on shorter, smaller seniors classes in the future. But let's transition, James, to talking about the 1981 year. This was Ken Riley's Super Bowl appearance. Ken Anderson was the quarterback that year. Let's just go through the starters here, right? You have Ken Anderson at quarterback. He went... 300 for 479 that year for 3,754 yards, 29 touchdowns, 
10 interceptions, ran for another 320 yards and a touchdown. That's a great year. If Joe Burrow puts up that year in his rookie season in 2020, I will be very pleased. Especially uh, the was, 29 touchdowns. Yeah, this this was Ken Anderson's uh, all-pro year. He was 32 years old. He had Pete Johnson at fullback. He ran 274 times for 1,077 yards, had 12 touchdowns, had another 46 catches for 320 yards and four touchdowns. This was back when the fullback ran the ball. You have Chris Collinsworth in his rookie year, 67 catches for 1,009 yards and eight touchdowns. He was a, a pro bowler his rookie year. Isaac Curtis, the other wide receiver, 37 catches, 609 yards, two touchdowns. Dan Ross, one of the great underappreciated Bengals at tight end, 71 catches, 910 yards, five touchdowns, a tight end in 1981. Then the offensive line has names that everyone will recognize. Anthony Munoz, the Bengals' only Hall of Famer at left tackle. Dave Lapham, the voice, many would say, along with Dan Horde of the Bengals at left guard. Blair Bush, a long-term starter for the Bengals at center. He was their first-round draft pick in 1978. Max Montoya, of course. Everyone knows Max Montoya at right guard. Seventh-round pick, James, 1979. He was in his second year. This was actually Anthony Munoz, also his second year. Mike Wilson at right tackle. He was a long-time Bengal as well. So many great players on that offensive line. That was a solid unit for a long time. And, James, my favorite fact about this 1981 team before we get to the defense, this was the first year they went to the Bengals-striped helmet, going away from the name Bengals in uh, weird text across the plain orange helmet. So you didn't like the old helmets. I actually like those too. I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with them. I, I get why people love the striped helmets though. As much as we talk about uniforms and changing the uniforms, I think the majority of fans want to keep the helmets. So I didn't know that 81 was that first year that they had it. But the, the, the crazy part to me about this, you go through all these names. And, and I was guilty of this too. Uh, obviously, I, I grew up and as I was uh, – uh, teenager of sorts chad johnson was the the preeminent bengals player and i remember getting in debates with you know 40 year olds at the time that that chad was the best 85 ever but if you talk to people about isaac curtis and i'm sure you have i know i have you talk to dave lapham or some of his former teammates they think he's probably the best receiver in, in team history like in in there's been a lot of great ones, right, that I remember from Carl Pickens, Chad Johnson, A.J. Green, T.J. You know, we could talk about all these different guys. But we talk about this era not getting honored or getting its due. I don't think many the casual Bengals fans under the age of 35 know who Isaac Curtis is or know much about Isaac Curtis. And there are some that played with him that think he's the best receiver in in, in the history of the franchise. So I think that that's just one of the many examples of guys that were extremely talented. And that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a Hall of Famer or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But don't get their due. Don't get the recognition that they deserve. And that comes back to the organization really celebrating its history and celebrating all the great players that have played for him. I do think the organization is getting a little bit better in this area. To come to their defense just a little bit, Zach Taylor has brought some of that recognition into the building in ways that it wasn't there before, but there's still no ring of honor, right? We talk about it all the time. Something they could certainly do. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. And one of my favorite fun facts is I review 
this 1981 roster, their preseason odds, James, to win the Super Bowl in 1981. Plus 6,000. What? And <laughs> imagine imagine being the guy that put like $1,000 on the Bengals to win the Super oh. Bowl at plus 6,000 in their preseason odds. Then they get to the Super Bowl. Like imagine how sad that guy was. Man, you oh. think you're sad if you're out there listening and you were watching that 1981 Super Bowl. Imagine imagine the guys that put the the, the people, I guess, not, not just guys, that put the money down in the preseason. Also worth noting, uh, the coaching staff for the Bengals, Forrest Gregg, of course, 12-4 and four that year under his head coaching tutelage. Bruce Coslett was a wide receivers coach. Dick LeBeau was a defensive backs coach. A lot of star power if you could say that, in the coaching staff there. Lindy Infante, the offensive coordinator. Hank Bullo, the defensive coordinator. And James, when I'm looking at this defense, this is where I needed a Bengals historian to help me. Because I don't I don't know a lot of these names, but there are a lot of first-round picks here. Eddie Edwards was a first-round pick. Wilson Whitley was a first-round pick. Ross Browner was a first-round pick. And I don't really know who any of those guys are. I, I start to recognize... Some of the names as you get down the list, but man, I, I don't know who most of these players are on the defensive side of the ball. And we just talked about it. it, it whose fault is that? I mean, I'm a 30-something-year-old guy. I, I, don't, I wasn't alive for this period of time, but this wasn't a bad defense. I just don't know who these guys were. And that, that's the problem, right? You're, you're a diehard, <laughs> right? So you're, you're a diehard and you're like, wait, who? Who is uh, in, in, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert about all of these guys. I, I met Lewis Breeden a couple of years ago. He stopped uh, or he played opposite Ken Riley, who's the left corner and a uh, really nice guy. But you're right. I mean, Reggie Williams is a guy I've interviewed a couple of times, but most of these guys just kind of get lost. Right. And, and that's that's the sad part uh, about this is. Uh, and I'm not, again, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert here, but the fact that we're talking about a defense that went up against Joe Montana in the Super Bowl, they went 12 and four and diehards are like, uh, you know, and so if you weren't alive for that, there should still be a way to celebrate that uh, at, at some sort. So it, it just comes back to that. And I don't want to make it totally about that. But if if you want your players, if the Bengals want their former players to get the recognition they deserve Part of that is on them. It's not all on them. Ken Anderson should be in the Hall of Fame regardless if there's a ring of honor, a museum, or anything like that. Right? Ken Riley, same thing. People should know who some of these guys are anyways. But if you want to celebrate the history of the organization uh, and you want your diehards to know every single player on the 1981 defense, well, part of that, if they didn't live it, is celebrating it so they can be more familiar with it and they can be more informed and knowledgeable about the organization before they were alive or before they were following the team as closely as they do now. One last player to mention here, James, Jim Breach, who Mm -hmm. some say is the best Bengals kicker of all time, was the kicker for the 1981 team. He was 22 of 32, which I don't know if that was good at the time or not, but if it was today, we wouldn't be very happy about that. But he did make 49 of his 51 extra points. I love Jim. I've talked to him multiple times. I didn't mean to, you know, uh, not include him. And here's what I'll say about him. He acknowledges that the numbers that these kickers, the Justin Tuckers and these NFL kickers are posting today uh, have blown his mind. So I I don't know if he'll uh, he would say he could post the same numbers. But, uh, yeah, he's a heck of a dude for sure. 
Kicking has certainly gotten specialized and, and more practice as the years have gone on. Coming up next, we're going to touch on the Roger Goodell statement and the Bengals statement, more importantly, the last team to make any substantive announcement regarding the unrest and protests in the United States right now. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Bengals were the final team to speak out and issue a statement on social and racial injustice, and they did so on Saturday afternoon via the team's website. Their statement came with a pledge of $250,000 to community initiatives, which that money will be allocated based on what players, coaches, and members of the team's staff uh, decide on where it should go. The Bengals' statement was on the website, like I mentioned, and they said, quote, please do not mistake a lack of public commentary for indifference. The Bengals organization believes that fighting prejudice and discrimination requires action, but to do so, we have to listen first. Serious problems have been with us too long. Our club has a proud tradition of opposing discrimination and promoting equality through action, starting when team founder Paul Brown helped break professional sports color barrier in 1946 with Marion Motley and Bill Willis. Those are the principles on which the franchise was founded, and those are the same principles that guide our organization's thoughts and actions today. The effort to advance equality endures. Progress is needed, and progress requires action. These are not just words. The Bengals have acted on these principles throughout the club's history and will continue to act on them. So, Jake, the Bengals acknowledging and and really addressing the issue, uh, at least to a degree here with this statement, and acknowledging why they didn't make issue a statement sooner, which I think there were a lot of fans out there wondering why. I know I saw some tweets about that, and I I think that that was something we were wondering, too. They did it. They addressed it on on Saturday. What are your thoughts when you read this statement and you find out that they're going to donate $250,000 to community initiatives? I'm just going to focus on the positive here, and and that's that they are listening to players. They are allocating money specifically for causes that players and coaches can come together and identify. They're not picking it themselves. Uh, the, the, the piece actually concludes on Bengals.com that the process begins with listening to players' experiences in the areas they feel need to be addressed. A dialogue head coach Zach Taylor has started with the players and continue. So we're not hearing about this with the Bengals through media the way we're hearing about other teams. Uh, you know, Drew Brees brought the Saints into the spotlight, right? And and there's been a lot of conversation about his repeated comments. And even today on Sunday, I think his wife put out a statement. So, you know, it continues around Drew Brees and his family. The Bengals point out that, you know, they, they hired the sixth black coach in NFL history and Marvin Lewis. They talk about breaking the color barrier in the 50s. And those are things that deserve some recognition. But for me, the focus is 
okay, what's next? And and the fact that they've pledged money and are taking deliberate action is significant. It's not just a statement. And we saw a lot of teams make just a statement. The entire NFL is in a, in a hard position here, though, right? Because Colin Kaepernick happened. This is, and, and I guess I'm going to ruffle feathers here because some people think that it was about football. It wasn't about football. Uh, you know, there was, there was willful ignorance as to what the action was about. And the entire NFL was complicit in the treatment of Colin Kaepernick after his protest started. Worth noting, by the way, James, the idea to take a knee was conceived by a conversation between Colin Kaepernick and former Green Beret, a tryout long snapper, Nate Boyer. That's the guy who gave Kaepernick the idea in the first place. I just think that when it comes from somebody who is in the military, a lot of the comments about disrespecting the military lose their weight for me, especially when if you listen to the guy, it has nothing to do with what he's talking about. In fact, I think that there was a senator today who said something along the lines of, if Kaepernick had just said he loves America, people would have accepted his protest. Kaepernick literally said, there's a quote, I love America. Something Colin Kaepernick said. So so people are, are I think, being a little bit willfully ignorant here. Uh, but I do appreciate the Bengals pledging some money. And, and Roger Goodell also made a pretty powerful statement. We'll see if it sticks. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, the, the Colin Kaepernick argument is is one by itself. Like, I, I don't think um, we could do it in the allotted time here that, that we need to, to discuss Colin Kaepernick and why he's in the NFL or why he isn't or does he want to be. Because I think that 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 matters um, in whether or not he wants to play football. But as far as the the NFL is concerned, and the the issues that we have in America, w- w- here's the thing: is whether you agree or not, and there are people on on sides and, and all that stuff. The reality is, is that the majority of Black people feel this way, and if you care about them, then what do you want? You want to make them feel welcome. And you want them to feel comfortable. And you're you're hearing all of these different stories of them not feeling comfortable in certain situations that you or I would feel comfortable in. And and so that for me needs to change. And so when you see the Bengals come out and, and I actually I appreciate that they didn't come out right away and just issue a hollow statement because you're right. A lot of the NFL teams did. And you could argue, well, $250,000 for an NFL team, $250,000 is still $250,000 and it's going to help. And in the people that are deciding where that money goes, I think we'll have a good idea uh, of where to put it and, and where to make an impact on the community. So I will applaud the Bengals for that. But but again, this it does need to be a, just the start. Uh, if, if you want to really enact change, this needs to be uh, a concerted effort, a consistent effort. And, and that's the part of this that uh, that I'm focused on. Like you said, you, you focused on the future. I'm not really worried about Colin Kaepernick. He, he's fine. Right. I don't I don't I'm not focused on whether or not he gets back in the NFL or not. Uh, I am focused on uh, moving forward that racial injustice isn't a topic 10 years from now, that everyone feels together, that there is equality. And, and I think that there are a lot of ways and a lot of steps that are being taken. It feels like a movement. Right. It feels like something that is going to help America come together. Um, but it needs to happen. And so the fact that the Bengals listened and waited and then pledged action, 
I'm not going to be critical of that. In fact, I'll, I'll applaud them because I would rather action six days after a statement than, uh, you, you know, of other teams issuing statements than a statement quickly and, and acting quickly to get your PR statement out there and then no action a week later. You just look at the reactions to San Francisco, for example, when they posted their black square for Blackout Tuesday, I think it was, and people saying, oh boy, you, you guys, Colin Kaepernick played for you. Do you remember that? And so that's why I brought up Kaepernick is because a lot of the reaction to these statements that are just like, you know, we, we pledge for unity. We, we pledge for racial equality without really any substance to them are, are hard to stomach for mm-hmm. folks that, that saw the treatment of Kaepernick. So that's the only reason I bring that up. The last thing I want to bring up is Roger Goodell issues a pretty powerful statement in response to some of the prominent black players in the NFL that put out what they wanted the NFL to say. And, and Goodell essentially said it verbatim. He put out a minute 21 second video in which he starts with powerful words saying, we, the national football league condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the national football league admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all players to speak out and peacefully protest. We, the National Football League, believe that Black Lives Matter. Coming from Roger Goodell, this feels significant. This is not something that would have happened in 2017. And even if you think this is too little, too late, at least it's different, right? At least it's, to me, it seems like progress in 2020, several years after Colin Kaepernick first took a knee and brought this focus onto the NFL with everything happening in the world. It seems like the reactions are a little bit more receptive in 2020. We'll be back on Wednesday for our next episode. We'll focus on some football topics, most likely depending on what happens between now and then we'll be back to the present. And one thing, Jim Breach's kid, John Breach, writes for CBS Sports a little bit, James, and he has an article on travel miles. So that might be something we look at on Wednesday. The Bengals amongst the teams that travel the least in the 2020 season. I feel like this is something that we talked about when the schedule first came out, but now we have numbers and a list, and who doesn't love numbers and a list? That and other football-related content as we have it. The coaches are back in Paul Brown Stadium. Maybe we'll get a little bit of news out of that. Coming up next time on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 